Today in our teaching series, we come to the statement in the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now to get it out of the way from the beginning, when we see the word Catholic here, that's not how we think about the difference in Catholics and Protestants in our world today. Remember this creed was being used uh, about 13 to 1400 years before the Reformation took place in Europe. The word Catholic here literally means the church universal. I believe in the church universal, the holy church, God's holy instrument doing his work in the world. Here at Covenant, when we talk about that holy purpose of the church, we use the language saying that we're called to be a love letter from God to the city of Austin. That's why we're here. We're not here not just to keep growing ourselves. We're here to impact the world around us, to be God's instrument, to be a love letter from God to the city of Austin and beyond. Now today in our planning, we had uh, hoped to unveil to you uh, the first recipient of the Love Letter Fund. We thought that it worked really well with our, our sense of, of what it means to be the church. The Love Letter Fund, if you're new here, is the most creative thing I have ever been involved with in any church ever. It is literally something that our session has done to, um, to put our resources, human resources and financial resources, behind our vision statement saying that you are called to be a love letter from God where you live, work, and play. And we want to equip you to think creatively about what that means. How has God uniquely and authentically called you? So what we did in the Love Letter Fund is we announced it last fall, and then we invited people to apply. They had to fill out an online application, and two days before the deadline, we had zero applicants, which meant that I was figuring out how to spin this to session uh, for why it hadn't worked. But in the 48 hours before the deadline, we actually had 17 applications come in. We were genuinely blown away by that. Some of you applied. And the applications that came in were so thoughtful and so creative and so wonderful. And many people are pursuing what they had written down. The task force working on this whittled it down to four semifinalists. And then those semifinalists had to write a longer written application as well as conduct uh, interviews over Zoom with the task force to determine who would be the first recipient of the Love Letter Fund. <clears throat> now the good news is we actually had a number of different people that we think we may be working with in the months and years to come. But there was one recipient that stood out for us as the right person to begin with. And today was the day to announce that. Unfortunately, and we're going to respect her privacy, she received a couple of days ago a very unexpected and serious medical diagnosis. And she needs to focus her time and attention and energy right now on working with her doctors and on healing, and that is the right decision, and we honor her in that. And so the Love Letter Fund is doing well, but we are going to wait and discern when the right time is to tell this story and to announce it, and we will keep you up to date. So we are pivoting today. And we're still talking about what it means to proclaim, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. The words of scripture that are going to guide us come from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's printed in your bulletin. It'll be on the screens. I invite you to hear God's word to us today. Paul says, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. One faith, 
One, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you would lead us, guide us, shape us, mold us this day as your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, friends, when we talk about the word church, what it means to say we believe in the church, it's also important not just to define Catholic, but to remind us of what the word church means. It does not mean a building. This is not a church. This is a building where the church meets. The church, biblically, is the community of people. You and I are the church. It was why it was so important during COVID when people would say, is the church closed, to say, absolutely not. And that's not just a kind of a, a funny little play on speech or paying attention to details. It's really important. The church can't close because you are the church and I am the church and God's call is alive on our life. Our campus was closed and we're really glad that it's reopened. But the church is us. So what we want to do today is we want to take a couple of seconds to say, how is it that Christian community is formed? And how is it that community generally is formed? If we're talking about community, then what does it mean to be community? And what is it about the kind of community that Christians are supposed to be living out that makes it holy? That's what we say we believe in. One holy Catholic church. What's about how we form that's holy? And two terms that are going to guide us today is our um, bounded set and center set communities. Bounded set communities and center set communities. These are terms that came actually from sociologists. Not talking about religious communities, but just talking about how do human beings form community. Because every kind of community and every kind of organization has to have something that holds it together. What is that? And then after those studies came out, uh, there were some theologians over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, Alan Hirsch, Tim Keller have been some who have taken that and said, now what does that mean about how as Christians we live in community? How do we take these sociological studies of how community is formed? How do we take what Paul's writing here in Ephesians 4 of what Christian community is and how do we understand how we're called to live? The two options again of how, Christian, of, of how any community is formed are bounded set and center set. Let's start by talking about bounded set. And what I want you to hear in this is that bounded set is not a bad thing at all. It is the most common way that you and I form community. And way bounded set organizations are pay a lot of attention to the lines, to their boundaries. What makes us unique from someone else? And that's how we create categories one from another. We do this all the time every day. We do it, for instance, with nations. Uh, I might be from America. My wife is from Great Britain. Right? Now, we're all human beings, but we see these boundaries, these lines that differentiate us create buckets. They create categories in which we live. Other categories might be that we have a lot of high school students who are part of this church. Some go to Anderson, some go to McCallum, some go to different high schools around uh, the city. They're all high school students, but the boundaries separate and categorize community. And if you're on one side of the boundary, uh, you're in community here. And if you're on the other side of the boundary, you're in community there. It helps us make sense of things. We see this in our politics all the time. You can be libertarian. You can be uh, Democrat. You can be Republican. Those are boundary set, bounded set communities. There's an image that I'd like you to have in your head. We're going to bring it up on the screen here. And, and we're going to have some like structures that are going to guide us. Uh, when you think about tents, tents are going to guide us today a little bit. Uh, this is a great example of what a bounded set community might look like. Because if you've ever been camping before in a tent like this, how does a tent have structure? 
Well, it has structure based on the lines, based on the edges, based on the boundaries. If, if you don't have these poles that create a structure, that it's just a bunch of fabric sitting on the ground. The way a tent takes shape is it's the edges, the boundaries, and the walls have got to be pretty high. The boundaries have got to be high to give it structure. Does that make sense? This is how we default all the time to creating community. Bounded, boundary set. It's not bad. The church does this all the time too. Bounded set language that you see in the church, for example, is uh, Presbyterians or Baptists or Methodists or Episcopalians or non-denominational, right? We form these bounded sets in this way. Or take, for example, uh, an email that I got from someone who started worshiping with us uh, in, an, in our online worship service, but they had never been to campus before, and they wanted to know a little bit more about our church. So they said, are, are you guys an a, a evangelical church or a progressive church? That's bounded set language, right? That, that's like, where's the categories? And, and we know where the lines are. We know what separates one from the other, and I want to know which bucket we're talking about here. And bounded set's not bad, but bounded set can get so extreme that it becomes problematic. This is what we're seeing in our nation right now, for example. We are becoming increasingly strident about our lines, about our boundaries, about how, where the lines are. And what happens in bounded sets is when we become rigid about our boundaries and they become more important than the community we have with the people on the other side, we become very polarized. We, become, we start having a lot of moral purity tests. We start having a lot of political purity tests. Are you really in this group? Are you really in the right side of the boundaries? Well, let's push it and see. It becomes very legalistic. It becomes very um, unforgiving. It is not a community in its most extreme forms that has much grace because you gotta prove you're in the club. This is what is happening in our culture all over the place right now. And it also takes place in the church where we get to that extreme form. Now, we have these here, but one of the places that I have never experienced what the implications of bounded set community on uh, religion is before is in Jerusalem in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Has anybody here ever been to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre? It is, uh, if you've not been there before, we're gonna bring some images of it up. Uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is this building right in the heart of Jerusalem. And it is the most holy site really in uh, Christianity. It is the place historically, there's been a church there for over 1700 years where the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus took place. You actually can go and touch Golgotha, the rock, uh, where the crucifixion took place. You can go and see what they believe to be uh, the tomb historically that, where Jesus rose again. This is the most uh, historic place. But there are six Christian groups within this building, six different churches. The list is here. We have Greek Orthodox who are there. We have Roman Catholic that are there. We have Armenian Apostolic. We have Coptic Orthodox. We have Syrian Orthodox. We have Ethiopian Orthodox. And that sounds like it could be a really cool thing to have all of them there together, except they don't get along at all. When you walk from one part of the building to the other, you're aware that the design changes and the feel changes and the, the, the garb of the priest changes, the feel. I mean, it's like you're very aware when you leave one person's part and go into the other part. And nowhere is this division more clear than in the immovable ladder. What I'm about to tell you is true. If you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre right now, there is a window with a ladder outside of it. 
That ladder was put there by a workman doing work on the church and the different groups couldn't agree on who had gotten the workman to do the work and whether it was supposed to be done and who was responsible for taking the ladder away. And so it has been left there, not for three months, since 1728. (laughs) For 300 years. That ladder has been sitting there because the churches can't agree of who should take it down. It's weird when you're going through the holiest place and you just see the dysfunction of organized religion smacking you in the face. At the same moment, they're like, this is where the resurrection took place. (laughs) Bounded set communities become very legalistic very much uh, polarized and unable to work together, very much about purity tests and, and morality tests because I need to know which side of this boundary, this line makes all the difference in the world and which side of the line you're on is actually more important to me than who you are. This is why I think that we're seeing people struggling with, with where they fall in like politics as we become more balanced, that people are disillusioned with parties, for example. I think this is part of why it's hard for some people to go, I believe in the holy church? It feels pretty dysfunctional to me a lot of the time. That's what bounded set thinking can get us to. And it sounds so different from Ephesians 4, doesn't it? So different from Paul when he's talking about what is the church? Preserve the unity of the church, he says, because it's one faith and one baptism and one God and one hope and walk together, he says in this. So people like Alan Hirsch and Tim Keller started looking at how else community can be formed. And while bounded set is normal, what can also happen is what's called center set community. Center set community, when you think of it structurally, remember the the camping tent? That's bounded set community. Center set community looks more like this. This tent, where there's a, a big structure but a huge pole in the middle that gives structure to the entire thing and it allows your walls to be really low. Because that center is so strong. And what we believe as a possibility of how you form church is that we have a center that's that strong. The center is Jesus. And the center is not just Jesus, but it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that we are like sheep and he is the good shepherd who in grace comes to rescue us. If you want to know what the center of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, It's captured in a video that some of you may have seen this week of a sheep and some young shepherds. (laughs) That is my spiritual life in a nutshell right there. When the Bible says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, it's not paying us a compliment at that point. (laughs) The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we all, like sheep, keep getting stuck in ditches all the time. And the gospel is not we learn how to avoid them. The gospel is that we have a God, a good shepherd, who loves us enough to keep pursuing us and pulling us out even by the leg time and time and time again, who never gives up on us. And if you watch that video and say, I am the sheep, then guess what? You're in. (laughs) You're in the club. 
There's nothing else that qualifies you than that except the celebration of a shepherd who comes after us. There's no and there. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and you vote the right way. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and you think the right way. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and you look the right way. It's that if you are someone who recognizes that you are a sheep who is loved and pursued and yanked out of crevices at times by the good shepherd, then you belong. Because the sinner is that strong and that amazing and that wonderful. And if you're sitting there going, I don't think I'm the sheep, then you don't have truth tellers in your life. Because if you have people who love you enough to tell you the truth, they'll tell you how you keep jumping into ditches. Don't you love that sheep? It's like, it's its first big bound when it's like, I'm really making it this time. And then boom, right down in. And my friends, I'm telling you right now, as our world becomes increasingly boundary set, as we become more polarized, as we become more strident, as we become less forgiving, we need churches to be what the Apostle Paul talks about here, to be center-set communities. Because center-set Christians are going to posture themselves differently. Center-set churches are going to look differently than others. Center-set churches are going to have Christians who have very real convictions on issues, but the way they're going to hold those convictions is with a, doubt, a dose of humility. Because on the things I think I'm most right on, the things that I jump the highest on and say I'm right, there very well could be a ditch that I'm about to jump into. There's a humility when we start by saying we are the sheep and that's what qualifies us to be in. That there should be a humility as well. That doesn't mean we get walked all over. We should say what we think. We should say what we believe. We should say what we think when it comes to current events or current issues. But there is always a humility blended in with it to listen, to consider the other side, to consider that the kingdom of God may just be bigger than what we think. It's, it's, a, it's only in a center-set community that you can find that. And, and, and that is where, and that is how Jesus taught. Think about how Jesus taught his disciples. He didn't sit there and give them morality lessons once a week and then say, make sure you're pure, make sure you're moral, make sure you're voting the right way, make sure you're on the right side of the boundaries. I want the lines to be really clear to you. The way he formed disciples, he said, come walk with me and I'll make you fishers of people. In our life together, we figure this out. Boundary set communities are very fixated on lines and what separates us. Center set communities are built on circles. They're built on circles of community of co-teachers and co-learners who in humility bring their beliefs and their convictions together in a mutual all groups. That's why they've grown the way we have. We're not doing it as a fad because that's what, what, uh, what churches do that are growing. We do it because that's what center set churches are. And what I'm about to say, I'm aware of, of the somewhat contradiction in this. When we build on churches that are, realize you're formed in circles, you realize what's most important. And what's not most important, what's, it, this is important, but it's not most important, are sermons. <laughs> or speeches. Or op-ed pieces. Those can inform us of how we think. But that's not where people are truly transformed. That's not where Jesus ultimately transformed people. That's not where the disciples were transformed. And I bet if you think about it in your own life, and I know when I think about it in my own, it's in circles that transformation has really taken place. 
He says, I sit with my small group and we're trying to figure out what it is that all of us have teenagers and we're trying to raise them to love Jesus and we're trying to raise them to love the church and we're trying to raise them in an age of COVID and we're trying to figure that out and the Bible doesn't give you a lot of step-by-step instructions about how to do teenagers in an era of COVID and faith coming alive to them and all of this kind of stuff. And so you sit with people and you're going, how are you pursuing Jesus and how are your children? What are you trying to do? And you learn and you hear and you expand and your horizons get bigger. It happens when you're struggling in your personal life and your spiritual life and you get together with people and you hear, well, I'm praying this way or I've gotten this new way of, uh, of pursuing the Lord or I've got these disciplines in my life and your, your horizons expand. It happens when you talk about current events together, not based on whose circle, what boundary are you behind, but in circles, we talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus in the complex issues of today? One of, the, one of the hallmarks of a boundary-set church is that everyone thinks and votes the same way. Because we know what side of the boundary we're on. We know what side of the line we're on. I'm so glad, at times it's challenging, but overall I'm so glad that in circles with committed followers of Jesus who see current events differently than me. And we've talked about that with conviction and passion, but also with enough humility to listen. And you know what? I think sometimes I've affected how they think. But what I know is that you all have impacted me. That sometimes I've been challenged and my horizons have been expanded and my sense of what the kingdom of God is like have been expanded and I am better off to be in circles with you than maintaining the moral purity test of which side of the line you're on. Are we progressive? Are we evangelical? I'm not playing that game. There's a better way of being. And we need to be after it. So if you are somebody who has a circle, but maybe your circle hasn't been meeting together regularly, maybe it's sort of fallen off in the disciplines of COVID, we build our lives on circles. If you're somebody that's going, I don't know where that circle is, I don't have that pocket of community, talk to us. Look at our website, help us to figure out, we're not gonna like make you sign anything. You know, all you gotta do is say, I'm willing to be a sheep and learn more about the shepherd. You're in, you're in. And we wanna walk with you and grow with you and learn from you. And my friends, in this boundary set, polarized world, if we do this, if we follow what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians, we will shine like stars in the midst of the world around us. And we will be able to declare with one unambiguous voice, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, lead us, guide us as your people, we pray. Help us to be the community that you've called us to. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.